Abigail Martin. This is your co-host, Robert Martin, <laughs> a.k.a. Florissant Gray. We're brother and sister, in case people haven't figured that out by now. just thought I'd mention that. Uh, yeah, so for a little social experiment, I decided to delete my Facebook account. Um, and as I was doing it, <clears throat> and it ran, run Media Roots through a dummy account, but as I was deactivating my account, Facebook literally was like pleading me to stay. It was like no don't go like flashing all these slideshows of different photos of me with friends like Robbie's gonna miss you Tyler's gonna miss you don't leave it was like such like a weird guilt thing and like deactivating it <laughs> digital guilt <laughs> digital guilt time from a computer so yeah it's so what you're basically saying is that which we already knew but you never experienced yourself is that Facebook doesn't delete your account they keep it forever and you just when you log in after you deactivated it it just re- automatically reactivates it. oh yeah 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 so i deactivated it on my home computer and then since i just had automatic logins on my laptop and stuff i just signed on my laptop for the first time today and it just automatically logged me in and i was like oh no 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 and it just like i just had an account again and like i'm sure i don't know it's just ridiculous and so i had to deactivate it again it's like it's so hard to you can't ever delete it pretty much you can never delete your facebook account ever <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if you think that you're that by removing your Facebook account, you're you're taking back your privacy. I mean, you're only taking back your privacy in the sense that all of your friends who are able to read all your status updates can no longer see what's on your wall and stuff. But you're you've already given up. You know, if you put anything on Facebook that's so-called private, you've already put it into the hands of the Facebook Corporation, which is making billions of dollars selling all your personal data off. I mean, it's probably some of the most useful data mining of people's uh, like buying habits and likes and interests of, you know, the modern era. I I can't see, I mean, that's, you know, I I don't know if Mark Zuckerberg has ever said this is how we make all of our money, but I mean, besides Facebook games, which are also data mining tools, uh, I just, yeah. I mean, that's what, that's how they make money. Yeah. And it's gotten so invasive even since it, started uh it's just it is really disturbing that you can't ever delete it and um how they probably sell i mean all the photos and stuff you put on there those are all like public domain now it's just i guess it's just unnerving that that will never be removed and that it will always be able to like be there and be accessed uh it's just strange facebook is really really weird and and after i deactivated it like two days later my brother said that he got uh or some people like wrote worried about me <laughs> and it was just, it's just funny that like, I don't know. They were really, really worried. <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's now alarming yeah. when you disappear on Facebook. Yeah. It used to be where before we had cell phones, it was like, we could disappear. We had the right and the luxury to remove ourselves from being accessible 24 seven, um, and that's a beautiful thing. I want to be able to go and retreat in nature and not have people think that I need to be accessible all the time. And now that we have our cell phones, it's a little bit harder to do that because people expect you to have them on you all the time. But with social networking, this is like this is the identity that people identify you as. Like if you're gone, it's it's almost like you died. <laughs> yeah, it is really strange how Very quickly weird. and strongly Facebook has transformed just the social landscape in general. You can now have conversations with people 
you know, say if you hang out in a, in a social circle and all those people in your social circle are your friends. And then when you go actually socialize with them in real life, it's almost like you continue a conversation that was happening only on, on the internet or a subject. Like somebody will mention to you, Hey, like something that you posted on Facebook, you won't even realize that they read it. Mm. It's just a strange thing that, but it's, but it's happening like underneath our feet. It's almost like it's the ground is shifting, but we're not really noticing it. Yeah. One of my (laughs) friends, uh, tells me all the time like every time I talk to her she's just like oh did you see you know oh I'm sure you saw like my album on Facebook or whatever like oh well I went here and there like do you know this person they're in this photo like on my album I mean I look at your stuff I'm like like stalking all of my friends and like following up on every avenue of their lives on Facebook I mean what it's just such a weird reality that you're just like oh yeah like you already know this of course because it's on Facebook it's like well no I don't It, it's I mean that's what the internet seems to do it's like a way to just reinforce your own perception of things especially with these new algorithms like we've talked oh God, we talked yeah. about on a previous episode these personalization algorithms so where the more information you give the internet things like Google and Facebook the less information and a whole total you will get back because it's continually trying to tailor their search results for what it thinks you want to see yeah it, and and to them, it's making it more convenient for you, right? But, but I mean, in reality, what it's doing, it, it's just making the tunnel even smaller that your vision is already being forced through. Yeah, and this is not just shopping stuff. Like if you sign into Google News or something, this is not just that. We are, I mean, that's pretty obvious. Like if you search for something on Google, like baby carriages or something, you're gonna get like baby R us on your Gmail, like ad whatever. That's not even the scope of it. We're even talking about like news searches. And just like totally generic searches on Google that you're not signed in <clears throat> to any account and it will still have a personalized algorithm that that selectively enforces like what you can search for and what results are given to you, which is awful. That totally demeans the whole purpose of the Internet. It's supposed to be completely unbiased, completely free. So it's just important to be aware that that's always happening now. It is. And that's part of the reason why the Internet, like things like Google have become so powerful i mean you could you can type almost any question in google now and and get the results that you want i mean that's in my lifetime that's a relatively new thing i mean search engines have been around since i was in high school but you know and google's been around for i don't know how long over 10 years or so but the internet is your answer to everything you don't yeah. even have to remember things anymore yeah. you know cell phones made it so we don't remember phone numbers anymore now you could type in a calculator equation into Google search box and get the results on the other side. You don't even have to know unit conversions anymore because everything can be converted for you in, in you know, a search string. Yeah, exactly. How many ounces <clears throat> is this? You know, or it's just... <laughs> exactly, yeah. Facebook also tracks everything you do even after you log out of it. So it's still caching everywhere you go and selling that information as well. I don't know if people already knew that, but yeah, that that information revolution that has catapulted in our generation with the invention of the internet. I mean, we were talking about this the other day, but it's just, what is that doing for our society? You're saying that we don't retain information anymore. We're learning in a selective fashion now. I mean, is, you know, yes, information's at our fingertips and it's amazing. And it it has the capacity to do so much, to revolutionize the entire world, to expand everyone's collective consciousness. Yeah, that's amazing. But is it doing that or is it stunting us 
in the sense that we're talking about, where we're only selectively learning, uh, we're retaining virtually no yeah. data. It's like we're using the internet as a whole as our memory backups. Yeah, like I we, mean, we a, always know that it'll be there. A lot of futurists, not ones as utopian as um, as Kurzweil, but other futurists who are a little bit more dystopian in their view of the future, like Michael Crichton. I, I, he wrote this really good essay, like. I don't know how long ago he wrote it, but it was like some in the early 90s. And I cannot find it on the Internet anywhere really? now. But I would love to because he goes on for a long time in the essay talking about how the Internet and the digital revolution will eventually destroy what's known as culture, where mm. independent, you know, ethnic cultures and, and things that spring up organically out of different regions of the world and traditions will be increasingly homogenized by the flow of the information on the internet that absolutely over time the internet actually may create more of a homogenization more sameness among human society in a negative way not just you know i don't necessarily agree with this phrase but thoughts you know can be poisonous or that just the idea of a thought can lock you into a certain worldview when it, what worries me is just how powerful and how skilled you know, the information war that's being waged on us right now is. And if the internet is used as a means to keep pushing that and just dumb people down, then it's going to do it way faster. Yeah. Cause <laughs> think about this, uh, the homogenization of culture and ideas and like basically the influence of Hollywood and like pop culture and things that are meaningless are so heavily pushed on the rest of the world and like fast food culture it's not the information that's valuable and will help you progress. That's not what's prioritized to spread and share. It's the poisonous, toxic information that doesn't benefit us that is creating this homogenization across the globe and destroying culture. That is, and, and unfortunately, that's what is on the forefront. There's a lot of future, I mean, there's not enough, in my opinion, people right now who are popular writing dystopian views of the future it seems yeah. like philip k dick already kind of created a book or a story about every possible dystopian future idea i mean and there's really not much more places to go but he was, did it so long ago so ahead of his own time hmm. i mean this guy was writing about the surveillance state in the early 70s i mean like yeah. and people being cataloged you know on computers and um or the idea that, you know, once you upload your brain into a computer, you know, what then at that point, what is the definition of yourself? His whole idea of like downloading memory onto a computer is really scary because of who's uh, investing in the technology. It's all these like billionaire psychos. <laughs> I mean, they these people are so arrogant and so egomaniacal that they want they think that it's if we have the technology to download your memory and like make a clone body and you have like the and just live in perpetuity i mean how is that living that's not natural that's not the way that the world works that's not the way life is supposed to work i personally don't even think that it is possible i mean i've heard i've heard people on both sides talking about the whole is memory able to be downloaded and it, all these things that seem like science fiction now at this point in time seem very possible and and though though that even includes things like created a lot of divide and conquer stuff happening in the 9-11 truth movement which is the idea of like things being faked on television or or right. being able to create such seamless visual effects that you can fake 
any scene from history that you want to. Yeah, the TV fakery movement, the people who say that like no planes hit the buildings and that it was a hologram. I mean, as absurd as that sounds, <clears throat> of course, that's not what happened. But we're talking about how that that will be a possibility to do very well and realistically. I mean, we know that they're already making weapons that are hologram based to use for warfare. So why the hell are they doing that? I mean, what's or, that going to be for? And I think it's going to start with propaganda. And we've probably already seen a great deal of propaganda in the form of um, manipulated audio or video. Um, I think. Oh yeah, like Bin Laden. <laughs> yeah, I mean we don't know. Yeah, I mean I don't I don't know what, but uh, I mean that's the thing they never showed us anything with Bin Laden oh, right, right. that was anything even remotely incriminating. So, yeah. All I they mean, did was they just didn't show even have to. Yeah, in a, that's like, a dark that's a thing. D- 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 you think to yourself, well, okay, if they have this technology, or if they're going to have this technology eventually, then how can they resist using it? But if you really think about it, they don't have to yeah. use or fake TV footage to get people to just believe complete yeah. nonfiction. Yeah. All they have to do is create some context for you and show you uh, some sort of leading imagery or audio and you will infer the rest just from that. I mean, you'll... Can you, can you imagine if they like uh, faked an alien invasion, global unification to fight some sort of fake holographic I, I don't know. I mean, it's the possibilities are endless. Well, you just basically, I mean, you've almost described the plot of Watchmen for, for a little bit, which was that they, the real Watchmen, and when I yeah. say Watchmen, not the movie version of Watchmen, because that was a cop-out. The actual comic version of Watchmen is the world is at the brink of a nuclear war, and in this alternate history, some megalomaniacal genius sociopath guy named Ozium, Ozymandias realizes that the only way to take the world away from the brink of nuclear war is to create a fa- fake alien invasion. He designs like a giant, you know, building-sized alien uh, b- <laughs> life form and drop and teleports it into Manhattan. Well, life <laughs> imitates art all the time, so we'll see. <laughs> Let's, uh... While Abby was talking, I found this great quote that would have applies a lot better to what we were saying earlier, but... Alan Moore was interviewed recently. Alan Moore is the creator of Watchmen and V for Vendetta and a bunch of other great comic books. And they, I mean, they really do transcend comic books. So if, even if you're not a fan of comic books, you should still yeah, check out some like of his stuff. A lot. Um, we'll link to do- a great documentary about Alan Moore right now on the timeline. Yeah. Very prolific person. In this um, website, honestpublishing.com, they interviewed him and he was asked... In the past, you've talked about the decline of culture, saying it's turning to steam. As individuals, you think we can reverse this and reclaim culture. And he says, yes, I think we can. I think our mistake has been thinking in the 20th and 21st century of the big cultural providers like television or Hollywood as culture. Mm -hmm. They're not. They're commercial entities which may occasionally or accidentally produce culture, but they're not culture. We are culture, just ordinary people, what they do. You've only got to look at all sorts of areas around the world at present to see people taking things into their own hands. That seems to be the trend politically, and I think it's a very good one. Wow, he just explained everything that we were just saying yeah. perfectly. That's yeah. so. That's such a great point. That well, that is not doesn't use the internet. He doesn't very like much. fame either. He has much. a very good, honest view of what's going on. And he's I mean, brilliant. I mean, just reading this, like that's just off the cuff. Like, and he's made response. He's made his living off good. of the entertainment industry, and he probably made money off of Hollywood too even though he hates all the Hollywood yeah. adaptations of his stuff and I think that's very true we tend to confuse actual genuine organic ideas with manufactured marketed mm-hmm. ones and yeah it's it's it, there the problem is is the more sophisticated and the more high-tech and the more 
well-researched marketing agencies become, the more they become indistinguishable from things that we would organically be into on our own. Yeah, because it's so psychologically manipulative. It's based on our deepest emotional pull. Mm-hmm. And so it's hard to distinguish. I mean, even I don't I don't even have cable. But we're still bombarded with like tens of thousands of ads every day. So we don't really know what that's doing to us on a subconscious level. Um, I love Alan Moore. That's, that's a really... I like that he just said that. It's very true. It is interesting, though, as information is like doubling all the time, um, more and more is available when when we used to have to go and actually like look up microfiche in, in the library and like really learn um, the knowledge that, that that exists today. My brother and I were talking the other day about people like Noam Chomsky and Howard Zinn will we ever see people who are so renowned and who fundamentally understand language and symbolism and true history um, because they've studied it for so long and read so many books and like can theorize it so well and it, now it just seems like we don't have those prolific people anymore um, I, at least I don't see any like emerging from our generation. We have Glenn Greenwald, who's the best blogger in the fucking world, but do we have those people who are who are that philosophers? Well, yeah. I guess. I mean, that's that's the thing. If we do, they're not respected enough to by the people who are in control or 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 given enough attention that we don't really know who those people are. Cornell I West. Mean, yeah, I mean, it seems like it does seem like that's kind of a a thing of the past. It's just yeah. in the same way that journalism like of the likes of um, Bob Woodward. Oh, yeah. Like Bob Woodward's generation of reporters, the people who are actually willing to break the law and go to jail for revealing the truth, that's gone. I mean, look at Bob Woodward now. Mm-hmm. He wrote like three books just basically kissing Bush's ass mm-hmm. for his whole presidency. Yeah, I mean, even the people who once were those shining lights of reporting investigative reporting are gone now and yeah we don't really have anybody on the same caliber as those people you just talked about i don't think i, I don't and they're just not giving enough attention if there are chris there hedges are obviously is is one of those people he was in a little interview that we did with him he was just like journalism's dead i mean journalism in the sense where it exists online if you're not going out and doing true investigative reporting yourself and doing original investigation and if you're just regurgitating things that you find online unfortunately i'm the victim of that as well with media roots we aggregate a lot of news and we try to put our own commentary on it at least um but it's really difficult to recheck and recheck and recheck all these sources and subsources within every single article that you come across and try to tie it all together and um and I think that's why it's so intimidating for a lot of people to even have a, a solid belief because it's like, oh, where'd you, you read that on the internet. How do you know that that's true? It's like, well, yeah, I mean, I, I read it on the internet and it's from a source that I deem reliable. No, I didn't check like the 10 subsources within the articles and within that article. But I mean, I trust like, you know, and that's where it's a slippery slope. And there is a certain level of trust. If you trust an author and his previous work, then yeah, there is a certain level of you're not going to go research every single aspect of his articles just to know that what he's what he's saying rings of the truth. But 
It's just the world's changing. I, I, it's weird. I feel like I'm like 80 looking back already and going, I remember how it used to be. Well, can you imagine? Yeah. And I mean, you know, our grandma, like yeah. imagine how she viewed what's happening. The ground shifting beneath our feet. It's like in such a quiet way that it it's, it's, it's kind of elusive. And then when we kind of stand back and look at it, we're like, wow, like things are really changing at a very fast rate. Yeah. And since, since the inception of the internet, you know, we're looking back on the last 10 years and thinking how much we've progressed from the internet's existence, how many, <clears throat> how much knowledge has been spread. Um, people are learning about things at an exponential rate, like 9-11 and things like that. But at the same time, we don't know, since we don't have, we didn't have the internet, like in our parents' generation, we can't really look back and look at the ratio of people who were awake or we're generally adhering to these same philosophical ideas generations ago. So it's like, is the internet just making it seem like we're more connected and we're spreading these ideas more rapidly and that pe- more people are waking up to reality? Or is it just fooling us because it just because we're so interconnected, we have access to all the people who are kind of in the same mindset as us. And so we feel like we're part of this huge community. But was the ratio always... I guess a similar ratio as those who were kind of just asleep and willfully ignorant as previous generations. It's hard to think about because I don't know. When Noam Chomsky says about conventional wisdom, that basically the idea when you question conventional wisdom, people are surprised. They're taking it back. You know, a lot of the time, anytime you see someone question conventional wisdom on a soundbite, you know, talking head kind of TV show, they either get cut off right away or they get like, you know, they don't get any airtime. And I think that's what people need to start with. doesn't matter what political affiliation you have. Just think about the things that, that, you know, you hold dear to yourself, the views you have about America, the views you have about our relationships with other countries and actually seek out alternative views of those and, you know, challenge this, the mantras that you hear. When Glenn Greenwald said that he, uh, started off as a blogger he's only been writing politically for about five years i think he said which is insane but he said that when he started giving tv interviews people looked at him like he was speaking a different language because he was i mean it's so manufactured everything in mainstream media and these canned responses and so when greenwald was giving responses they like honestly didn't understand how to respond to him yeah and he was just like and he was out of his element when he started as well and he would just (laughs) say things like but you guys know that this is illegal, right? <laughs> it's illegal. Yeah. You know, I well, mean, how the, are the Democrats going to win? Into, I mean, the earning, response. spinning it, giving like pity to the Democratic <laughs> Party because like, well, if we go after the Bush administration, like how are we going to like reclaim the White House and shit, bro? And he's like, well, it doesn't matter because it's illegal. <laughs> <laughs> but he soon, he quickly realized that just speaking the truth, you're up against a heap of conventional wisdom that is basically just propaganda That's that's just obscures everything it's a it's a sheet of propaganda over everything but it doesn't take very much to cut through it and that's yeah and that's what i think people need to empower themselves with that but it has the ability to act like a sharp blade and just cut through it you know you just have to know where to look and you have to be able to recognize that 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 what you're hearing is unquestioned conventional wisdom but is information going to get to the point where everything is going to be subjective. I mean, we were talking the other day about ancient history and just how there's a lot of there's a lot of problems if you look at just the linear model of human evolution and the anthropological 
dogmatic scientific teachings of how evolution occurred. There are a lot of problems with that, and there are a lot of things that don't make sense. I mean, it seems like every year we find bone remains that are like hundreds of millions of years older than even the oldest human that we thought existed. There's like water damage on the Sphinx that says that it could be from a different climate than the desert. Um, there's really, I mean, if anyone's watched the, not that I want to get into aliens and stuff right now, <laughs> but there's a really good documentary called Ancient Aliens that the History Channel put out. And if nothing else, it just shows that there are so many anomalies in ancient history that are totally inexplicable if we just adhere to to what we've learned in school about evolution. Yeah, and there's only so much you can do with the fossil record and just you know, archaeological records. I mean, once you go back to past a certain point, you're relying on supposed firsthand accounts of individuals that maybe sometimes can be corroborated by other individuals from around the same time period. But I mean, the farther back you go in history, um, the less provable it is. And the le- I mean, just the less we know. And uh, I, I think that, yeah, I mean, that could be looked at as conventional wisdom too, that we know exactly where yeah. we came from. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I I believe in evolution. I believe in, you know, a lot of ancient history. I just, I mean, there's, but there's a lot of stuff that goes by unquestioned. But will it get to a point, you know, you're, we're talking about ancient history and how, I guess truth is subjective. Truth will always be subjective. And especially with the internet and the advancement of information being at our fingertips, literally at any point we can look anything up. Is that going to make a truth revolution in the sense that truth won't exist in its sense because it will be so manipulated. Like everyone will have their own truth. Everyone will have a subjective, I don't know. Truth is subjective. Well, yeah. And there's, there's so many different interesting and also kind of scary directions that it can go in. Some of the hoaxes that were done in the 20th century you know, before all this information took over, you know, like War of the Worlds. I mean, people actually committed suicide when Orson Welles did the War of the Worlds radio special. I mean, if people committed suicide from hearing that on the radio and actually believed that aliens were invading, it really doesn't take much to trick a population, especially when <laughs> corporations own all the, pretty much all the newspapers and all the TV channels. We we could talk about this forever, but I mean, it is it is we're in a very interesting transition point in human history. Yeah, because look at how easily conventional wisdom has been indoctrinated on us from our childhood. I mean, even with with the internet, I don't know how generations are growing up now. I haven't talked to enough children who are like in grammar school and high school and learning history with the internet accessible as it is now. But I can just speak for myself that you know we're totally indoctrinated with conventional wisdom and with these dogmatic institutions and philosophies and um and the more and it's very easy to do that because every generation that dies off it's almost just like it's an ancient knowledge <laughs> that can be easily manipulated and just rewritten i mean we see his- history being rewritten all the all the time look at after 911 history well, was just like rewritten Ronald and Reagan. published in books yeah ronald reagan's deified World War II, we won the war, we did the right thing. All of these facets of history, and this is recent history. I mean, so it's hard to look back millennia and and say we know for sure what happened. We can never know. It's always going to be based on hearsay and based on uh, folklore. A lot of speculation. That's why religion is just so... 
incongruent to me. Every single religion. I just watched this excellent, excellent lecture that this guy gave. It was only like a five-minute segment of a lecture about how it feels to be indoctrinated by Christianity. Or he just said... He just was like proposing the question. It was like some debate between him and, and some person who was arguing for Christianity. And he was just saying... Um, you know, you hear this all the time if you're interested in, in talking about religion or this point comes up a lot that if you're born in like Burma and you're never given the, the, the chance to ever learn about Jesus Christ and then you die at age five, if God, I mean, where's the mercy, I guess? Like you're, this person was never given the chance to learn about the true way to go to heaven. So therefore he's just like deemed to just suffer in hell for eternity. I mean... Catholics and some Christians have loopholes for that. They have loopholes, though they have the purgatory thing. Well, the loophole, one of the loopholes that I've heard is that if you live your life in the way of Jesus Christ, or if you, without having any knowledge of the Christian religion, that you will go to heaven. But, the, but what if you, <laughs> but what if you like grow up uh, adhering to Islam and think that Allah? Then is you won't. Should we talk about? Let's talk a little bit about the Occupy movement now and some of the new. Um, some newfound uh, celebrity characters that, you know, I had a little bit of respect for, you know, cool people made some cool stuff and involved yeah, in some interesting things. I liked Loveline when I was in high school. Yeah, and, and those two people are Frank Miller and Adam Carolla. And uh, Frank Miller's anti-Occupy rant was a lot less articulate and just all over the place, just really dumb. He called occupiers rapists, bigots, and like, here, what did he say? You want to read it? Yeah, he, here's here's where I'll start. Um, this is Frank Miller from November 7th. The guy who made Sin City. He says, this is no popular uprising. This is garbage. And goodness knows they're spewing their garbage, both politically and physically, every which way they can find. Wake up, pond scum. America is at war against a ruthless enemy. Maybe between bouts of self-pity and all the other tasty tidbits of narcissism you've been served up in your sheltered, comfy little words, you've heard terms like Al-Qaeda and Islamism. And this enemy of mine, not of yours apparently, must be getting a dark chuckle, if not an outright horse Ooh, laugh out of your vain child of self Who do you think? Al-Qaeda. What? Yeah. Are you jo- Wait, that's seriously? <laughs> that's hilarious. Oh, that's hysterical. Lost all respect in Frank Miller. Too bad the... <laughs> I refuse to watch any of Frank Miller's movies now that he thinks Al-Qaeda is like a, our true enemy. It's amazing. Good job, Frank. The spirit sucked, by the way. <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny because uh, Frank Miller has gotten a lot of attention um, after a bunch of movies have been made off of his comics, like 300, um, Sin City. And then before that, he got a lot of attention for kind of retooling Batman and making Batman darker and more of like a ruthless vigilante kind of character. Um, but yeah, he, he wrote this ridiculous anti-Occupy screed and we found in his writings that he is extremely intent on making Al-Qaeda the centerpiece of his worldview. It, I mean, it Oh my God, right at the there. end of it, he says, in the name of decency, go home to your parents, you losers. Go back to your mama's basements and go play with your lords of Warcraft. Or better yet, enlist for the real thing. Maybe our military would whip you into shape. Wow. Why don't you join the military, dude? Yeah, I don't know if he's a veteran or whatever, but yeah, he's a creep. Why don't you and fight Al-Qaeda because it seems like you really, really are upset about it. You really believe in that. <laughs> go fight it, dude. And Go and fight I, it. And a battle of words between him and, and my favorite comic book uh, writer, Alan Moore. Um, he was asked in an interview, 
Um, the same interview with Honest Publishing, he, he was asked, with the Occupy movement, it seems you and Frank Miller have conflicting views. <laughs> Would you say that he's against it and you're for it? And Alan Moore says, well, Frank Miller is someone whose work I've barely looked at for the past 20 <laughs> years. I thought Sin City stuff was unreconstructed misogyny. 300 <laughs> appeared to be wildly ahistoric, homophobic, and just completely misguided. <laughs> I think that there has been po- probably a, a rather unpleasant sensibility apparent in Frank Miller's work for quite a long time. Since I don't have anything to do with the comics industry, I don't have anything to do with the people in it. I heard about the latest outpourings regarding the Occupy movement. It's about what I'd expect from him. It's always seemed to me that the majority of the comics field, if you had to place them politically, you'd have to say center-right. That would be as far towards the liberal end of the spectrum as they would go. Yeah, I mean, he and then he just continues on to say the Occupy movement's a completely justified howl of moral outrage, and it seems to be handled in a very intelligent, nonviolent way, which is probably another reason why Frank Miller would be less than pleased with it. Um, yeah, it, that's a great point, too, is the people in the comic world, it's almost like they adhere to that enemy. And this is my favorite quote of the whole interview. He says... Uh, He's continuing to talk about the Occupy movement. He talks about, he's talking about it, and he says, so something has to be done about that. I would suggest beheading the bankers, <laughs> but while it would be very satisfying and would cheer us up, it probably wouldn't do anything practical to alter the situation. Boom. <laughs> what an awesome dude. I like Alan Moore a lot. And, yeah, there's just been, um, it's it's kind of interesting how little actual celebrities have spoken out in favor of the Occupy movement. Um I think, who was it that that has spoken out in favor of it? Um, Russell Simmons? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Russell Simmons is down there every day doing, like, little yoga and stuff. Uh, Anne Hathaway dressed up in incognito and went to a rally, and people were, like, ragging on her and, like, Bill O'Reilly's blog and being like, you are part of the 1%. It's like, not really. I mean, like we said before, uh, celebrities are not part of the 0.01% of billionaires that we're really, this movement's really about. Yeah, uh, and I do I do take issue a little bit with the idea of the 99% versus the 1%. Yeah. I mean, it sounds more catchy than saying the 99.9%. We're the 99. I mean, 99. so you got to <laughs> you have to um, 999, narrow like it down. Came. Yeah, you got to narrow it down and make it more catchy. That's totally understandable. But yeah, I think the conservatives who are bashing it for that reason though are obviously just using it as an excuse yeah. to demonize it cuz they know that they know that there's an extreme disparity of, of income in this state. There's no way they can deny it. It's gotten yeah. worse over time. Um, the wages of people in the upper 1% have increased dramatically in the last 30 years, and the wages of people below have remained the same. Do you think it's just them just still adhering to like the American dream, and they're just like, they just got to work hard. Like These kids are just like not working I think job. I think so to some degree, but I think a lot of them are just saying that i think they're just playing the game like even people who work in like the financial industry because everybody else they know thinks it's stupid so they're just going to repeat it it's just they're parodying it but i think in their heart of hearts they know that there is something extremely unfair happening and it's gone beyond just the normal you know life isn't fair says adam carolla and that's that's what we'll talk about next is he yeah he had a different anti-occupy wall street screed and his was more of the you know suck it up and get over it you know you your life special. isn't fair you're not special you don't deserve special treatment you know you're a misogynistic asshole pretty much i mean who, what the hell has adam carolla done to benefit society he was basically just like telling everyone who's an occupier 
that they're just losers and totally misguided and that they should just be content and realize that they're not special and they, they deserve nothing. It's like, well, then why did you deserve... I mean, who are you to say that? I mean, what the hell? I want to add to the question you said earlier is what has he done to benefit society? Well, Adam Carolla, I mean, he had a sh- uh, episode of his show which benefited me for many hours, which was uh, Steve-O going on his show extremely drunk. <laughs> And destroying like a glass table, <laughs> like right in front of him on stage. See, that's good. And Adam Kroll well, was like a, obviously very like scared and, and nervous about the whole situation. You see, can watch on YouTube. like that are really good. Well, so he starts off saying that um, 1% of the top taxpayers in California paid for the 50% of the taxes in California. Well, yeah, I mean, that's that sounds accurate to me because uh, what he doesn't say from that is that a lot of people who are even richer than that don't pay taxes. So I'm not really sure where he's going with that. I think it's just kind of, he's just not really thinking of the big picture. And another thing he says, which is, you know, which is kind of true in a sense is that a lot of the new generation of people who were born in the nineties or, you know, after the millennium are, you know, they aren't being prepared for the like generic, you know, job world or, or whatever in the sense that they used to be um, prepared. There's a lot more freedom of choice. You know, people get liberal arts degrees in college, you know, and, uh, you know, I mean, there's just so many different um, things going on. And and he's acting like, you know, the world is hard and, you know, you haven't been prepared for the world, so this is why you're complaining, this is why you're angry, and this is why you've, like, banded together No, it's that that we've all gone to college and that there's no jobs, you ass. I mean, the world has changed. I yeah. mean, 25 years ago, and he's saying this is when it started. Is feasible, but this real world he's talking about has changed a lot, and it's not changed for, in America at least, it hasn't changed for the better for the people on the bottom 99. percent It's only gotten better. Yeah, the people at the top, and it's actually gotten worse. Yeah, it's not all that we've been like collectively, like suffering a recession. It's that the top one percent has literally profited immensely from putting all of us down <laughs> yeah that is the most disturbing part of it it's not i mean and and uh. yeah i mean this that has been going on you know through all of society you know the yeah. the, the most elite the richest most powerful mm-hmm. people um exploiting the people below them but i mean it's definitely um there's no doubt that there's a difference between right now and 25 years ago in america in that regard um, there's a big difference. Yeah, and uh, I just watched Zeitgeist at Denim for the third time or something last night, and I was really... I mean, that movie always totally messes with me, but it was just John Perkins, the author of Confessions of an Economic Hitman, he was just talking about how if people, in the, you know, all these leaders in the third world, if they don't agree with U.S. or NATO or whatever, the policy of... Our imperialist policy and objectives, then we will just take them out and murder them. Um, And he gives numerous examples of this. Excellent book and excellent documentary. I recommend everyone to watch it. But John Perkins was just saying, you know, it's hard for people to understand the world that we're living in because we have these faux democratic institutions and we have these like faux elections and. Um, and so we're kind of living under the guise that we are electing our leaders and doing this and that. But then he, he just mentions how there really is a tyranny and it's the corporatocracy that are unelected and completely shadowed. And 
some of these corporations are bigger than countries. I mean, like the top 20 GDPs, like five of them or 10 of them or something like that. I'll link to a chart right now, but are corporations. So, <clears throat> I mean, it's it's a very, very disturbing thing to think about, but it's it's very important to think about it in that way. We've talked about the co-opting of the, of the Occupy Wall Street movement before, but move on and the Democratic Party's... Uh, the union called Working America. It's like this extremely slick website. That obviously, has a shitload of money behind it. They've released nine demands for the 99%, kind of like a Herman Cain 999 little shtick. Um, but yeah, they just didn't you hear, guys? There's nine demands that the Occupy Wall Street put out. Oh wait, it's actually sponsored by Move On and a total Democratic Party attempt to co-opt the movement and put forward demands. So Truth Out has a great article about it. We just put it up on Media Roots. And uh, recently, you may have heard that there's a the amendment to the Defense Authorization. Act. Oh yeah, we need to talk about that. So I mean, there's really not much to, to say Let about them. it except for this is a reality, but it doesn't feel. I mean, I guess to me, it doesn't feel like it. It's something that new. I feel like they've already had the power to do this, and then we I've already expected it. But and now it's like. It's out there. In okay, the let's t- tell people what we're talking about. They're in the new defense budget this year, um, the defense budget bill. There was a provision that was secretly drafted behind in a closed door session by John McCain and Senator Carl Levin, um, which would authorize presidential use of the U.S. military against its own people by being able to arrest anyone anywhere in the world and hold them indefinitely without charges. Very, very scary. It's called Senate Bill.1867. And uh, one of the most striking things about it is that the only people who who voted nay on this, um, it was, see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Ten Republicans voted nay and only two Democrats voted nay. The rest voted yes on it. Yeah. It's... That's kind of strange if you think about it, the way things have reversed, you know, that it's like when a Democrat's in office, it's like all the Democrats just vote for whatever he or whatever, or, like, or maybe these are just more principled Republicans. I don't yeah. really, I'm not familiar with a lot of these people. It, it says Rand, Rand Paul uh, voted against it. And it seems like he's taking some stands on some civil liberties issues, which is good. Um, yeah. You know, I don't, I definitely am not as much on the same page with him as I am with his father. Um, yeah, but this this bill, it almost is totally unsurprising in the sense that our government has been doing this already. I mean, they've already extrajudicially, extrajudicially <laughs> which is basically like a fake word. Anyways. Yeah, it's like a totally <laughs> it's like a propaganda word. But uh, we've already been assassinating American citizens abroad. We've already been holding people indefinitely without charges. We've already have have this happening all the time. We just assassinated uh, an American citizen, Al Walkie. We assassinated his 16-year-old son and his friend. I mean, he was an American citizen too. It's just like, so I guess this is just like putting it into law now. It's just like, I don't know. It's just like legislating this illegality. (laughs) It's like making this insane illegality now legal. Oh, if Obama vetoes this bill which he said that he would it'll be like a great photo op for him it's like a win-win for the obama administration if he lets this through it'll give him the ability to crack down even an insane amount more on dissent 
and just totally brutalize American citizens. I mean, our Constitution is totally gone. This bill is like now put into law that there's no posse commentatus, there's no um, habeas corpus. I mean, our Bill of Rights is totally eviscerated. There's nothing left. If they can just do this now, the military can just come and arrest you and detain you as if it's a war zone. It totally deems America as a battlefield. It opens up this country as part of the battle of the war on terror. Um, but yeah, if Obama vetoes it, it'll be a great photo op to restore civil liberties. And if he lets it pass and signs it into law, then it's a big win for him anyway. I mean, he's already totally, we know for sure now that there was federalized crackdowns coordinated at the federal level against the Occupy Wall Street encampment. So, And even if you still um, plan on voting for Obama and you still have some faith in him or, or trust him as a president, take yourself you know, project into the future a little bit to the next time there's a Republican administration, you know, someone like Bush, and they're going to have these same powers too. They're going to have the exact same powers that Obama has now. I just think people are being very short-sighted, even if I don't blame people for still supporting Obama if they want to. I mean, that's, you know, that's your prerogative, but I mean, think about it beyond his administration. Yeah, that's if you want to actually think about the point. damage done. That's a great point, because people don't, they think that when the Bush administration left, it was just like, oh, thank God, like our country's finally restored. It's like, no, all those power grabs during the Bush administration are still applied. They seem like a monarch. Like they just People <laughs> just trust Obama not to use them irresponsibly, I guess. That seems to be the logic that Kind of it's just so sad that, like, caring. you know, the Bush administration created the Patriot Act and and the home, Department of Homeland Security and stuff, and now it's just like accepted. It's like, well, that's just a part of our, that's a part of our country now. Just these insane uh, departments that are just given more and more money on an exponential level every year, and yet we're cutting all everything across the board except the military. Obama tried to win some new support from. Um LGBT people today. He announced uh, that they would be putting sanctions and on countries that did not have civil rights for LGBT people. That is such BS. And <laughs> I mean, in theory, it sounds like a really good, uh, you know, smart move on his part. But it make made me immediately think about Saudi Arabia, the country that we can't touch, that we let them. You know, they hire private contractors from our country to uh, fight their um, <laughs> uprisings, and we never report on their uprisings there. You know, I mean, Egypt gets tons of coverage, but we never talk about, you know, civilian protests being squelched in Saudi Arabia. And it, I just can't believe for a second that we're going to impose sanctions on Saudi Arabia for violating LGBT rights. And yeah. the first entry on the Wikipedia page for LGBT rights in Saudi Arabia says... LGBT rights <laughs> in Saudi Arabia are unrecognized. Homosexuality is frequently a taboo subject and is punished with imprisonment, corporal punishment, and capital punishment. Wow. Yeah, so we're not going to apply. I mean, we're, this Islamic is not Islamic Sharia happen. law applies to homosexuality in Saudi Arabia. Yeah, you really think Obama, the Obama administration is going to make a, a speech, you know... I know what it's going to be used for. I just realized it. They're going to selectively enforce it to countries like Iran and other countries that they already have plans to invade or destroy. And just put it under the guise of like a human rights effort. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, that's how it's going to be used, if any, if, if at all. If Obama cared about gay rights in, in so much as that he's actually 
trying to police the world and their gay rights stances. I mean, that is so outrageous in its in itself. But if you're if you think that Obama cares about gay rights, why hasn't he just legalized in a federal sweep gay marriage? Or even just come out in support of it yeah. the, from his personal point of view. Say, you know, um, I'm going to let the American people decide on this, but I personally very strongly believe in a in a gay person's right to be yeah. married. Yeah. But he says that he... He can't say that. Or, I mean, I don't even remember what his last statement on it was, but it was absurdly noncommittal. It was like... It was like his press secretary saying that his position continues to evolve <laughs> or something. Just like the marijuana position, it's just constantly evolving. Oh, the whole this whole gay marriage thing is making me think of what Lori told us about. Uh, Michelle Bachman is married to a closeted homosexual, or at least it appears to be, very repressed person who who openly tries to like, you know, fix gay people. Yeah, he used to run like a conversion. I think he's a psych- practicing psychologist, and he used to run with somebody else, like a convert, like a. You get converted from being gay to straight. Yeah, because that totally works. That totally, totally works. Um, Louis Theroux had, does a special about the God Hates Fags Church, and and like one of the guys in the church that joined it is like the most obviously like gay guy ever, and he's like totally trying to like join the church because he's probably trying to <laughs> like reject that that part of him that's so glaringly gay. It's just it's very it's just so sad that. That whole thing is just really sad. But Michelle Bachman's husband, or Michelle Bachman was asked about gay marriage and she was just like, well, yeah, I think that a gay person could get married. And they were like, really? Like, you you think that gay people could get married? She's like, well, a straight person can marry a gay person. Or like a gay male <laughs> could marry like a woman. And you're like, what? No, that's not. <laughs> no. Oh my God. That's what your husband did. <laughs> <laughs> um, and if anyone has been following the dog and pony show that is the the GOP race, uh, the last debates, Ron Paul was like finally given the opportunity to just run with it. CNN it was amazing. Debates. It was amazing. Ron Paul totally took charge and destroyed everyone on the entire debate. I've never seen him do so well. He killed it. And it's be, just be it's simply <laughs> the reason being they gave him fair time and they also gave him fair questions to answer they didn't set up any like gotcha questions for him at all it was shocking actually and i personally think that someone at the top just gave the word okay yeah let's give ron paul a chance this time you know we've shut him out of every single other debate given him no airtime let's just let's do it let's just see what happens and they did and i don't know what the subsequent debates have been like but I don't think they gave him as much time because we would have heard about it. Yeah. Well, we're going to link to this right now on the timeline. I encourage everyone to watch it because it's really great. Right after that debate, um, one thing I had forgotten until just now was that DrudgeReport.com had as the main picture and headline front runner, question mark, and it had a picture of Ron Paul, like with his hand up. uh, And that was right after that debate. So it's like, it's it's not even like they have to force you by being like... um, you know, by saying Romney's the front runner, Ron Paul's the front runner, to get people to believe it and and parrot it, they just have to show you, display things in a certain way, and mm-hmm. that's kind of how the debate was set up. It it showed Ron Paul in a very favorable light. Mm-hmm. The structure of the debate, it just happened to do that, and every single answer he gave was spot on. Um, he got to say so many crucial things. You know, 
Like everything he's ever said in every debate previously, he said all in this yeah, one debate. Yeah, like condensed and it very all, like, succinctly, solidly. and just like boom, boom, not interrupted by anybody. I mean, yeah, it, it looked like everyone's head was going to explode because everyone was just like, "Oh my god, how do I follow this?" And if you actually, if they kept that up, and Ron Paul was given that much time on all the subsequent debates, he would become the front runner. Yeah, but clearly, they he's not going to be. I mean. Yeah, uh, and and if you look at the GOP race, it you if you were to make a mockumentary on the race that's happening right now, you wouldn't even have to change anything because the whole thing is such a parody of itself. I mean, you have Herman Cain, who is uh, so ridiculous. I mean, aside from the whole Godfather of molesting and and affairs, extramarital affairs, he quoted Pokemon multiple times. First, he quoted it thinking that it was like some world-renowned philosopher, and then he quoted it again in his concession speech and said, "Like, yeah, I know that this is Pokemon. I'm still going to say it." Yeah, he's like, uh, he's like, and some wise words were once said, and I believe this is from the Pokemon movie. And he like gave like a little smirk to the audience, like, it's "Like, am I watching Idiocracy <laughs> right now, or is this real?" Like, it's like so bizarre. And there was a clip from the Daily Show where it showed him being announced his concession speech I say his concession <laughs> speech but he just dropped out of the race yeah. and you know obviously because he was involved in several sexual right. harassment scandals and he had a mistress for like 13 years so he was like he had to drop out I mean at that point because it was undeniable <laughs> even though people will still defend him to the end but the he did this speech and someone announced him they were like and Herman Cain and right when they said his name like his bus starts driving up like like he did it on cue <laughs> Like, I'm not going to appear on stage. I'm going to drive up in my bus right when my what? name is called and then get out like a minute later. It was just cartoonish. Someone on Twitter, some guy named Jason Musty, and I, I love this. He wrote, I made an advent calendar for Herman Cain's eventual withdrawal from the race. Behind each door is a woman who's sexually harassed. <laughs> 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 that was funny. Yeah, but so you have Herman Cain quoting Pokemon. You have Michelle Bachman, who's just off her rocker, um, who doesn't even understand what liber- I mean, what she is. I mean, she's claiming she's like a Tea Party member. She doesn't even understand what the Constitution or the yeah. Bill of Rights is. And then you have Mitt Romney, who's like a who is a robot and a Manchurian candidate beyond precedent. <laughs> beyond Obama. I mean, this guy is like a mannequin. He's like a talking Kendall that someone has just like inserted canned answers to like every single thing and he's like really shiny. Uh-huh. Like someone like lubes his face up like before he goes out and does like anything. Very creepy. And everybody on the Republican side is still carrying water for him even though there's kind of an undercurrent where they don't want him to be the front runner. You'll never hear like Sean Hannity or 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 even Limbaugh won't overtly talk badly about him. He'll just talk about her, you know, Limbaugh will say he prefers Newt or something. But, I mean, Romney, I think a lot of people in the Republican field, even people like Hannity, they secretly dislike Romney because he doesn't give them, like, access to him very much. Like, they, they he doesn't do interviews very much, mm-hmm. is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. He's barely ever given himself to the media and gone into an interview where he doesn't know the questions beforehand. And during the Fox News interview with Brett Baer, second half of the interview, he gets all nervous and fidgety and he like crosses his legs and he's like moving, he's like ankle shaking around and he goes, geez, Brett, this is a really unusual interview. Like, like mockingly saying, you know, like this is not just unusual that he meant he really disliked it. Right, right, right. But on a certain level, he did mean it was unusual and not that it was unusual for interviews, but it was unusual for a Fox News interview. Because Fox News normally just totally softballs (laughs) 
Every single he was like, Republican. I never would have come on here if I yeah. never asked you so questions. He just meant that it wasn't he wasn't expecting to actually go in and be asked real questions that would that he couldn't just give canned responses to because he kept trying to just give these extremely canned responses back to Brett Barrett and it yeah, wasn't yeah, working yeah. and it was just so strange. It was like it everything was, was like circulated back into like a some like And this is what I'm gonna do for this country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like every it was it was unbelievable. <laughs> and I'm not I mean, yeah, politicians, they're they're fakers, they do fake stuff. I mean This is like beyond like any yeah. canned responses I've seen though. It was like almost eerie. It was it, almost it like was, the same sex marriage thing. You're just like this is like very matrix like like now let's talk about Niggerhead Ranch. <laughs> yeah, this is kind of an old scandal. I don't even know if we mentioned this before, but yeah, Rick Perry had a ranch that his family owned for like a whole generation uh, that had a rock in front of it <laughs> that he didn't try to cover up or like change until a media story was done on it where the rock said Niggerhead Ranch. <laughs> it actually said that. Over. Your, your <laughs> candidacy is now over. It's like, I'm sorry, I understand that maybe like, yeah, obviously white supremacists who own slaves probably, or I, I, I know a lot of landmarks had the word nigger in them. That's just like how that was the culture of Americana during slavery. But if you, if your family and if you're a politician, don't you think that like the first thing you do, you're like, okay, we're changing this. I'm going to make like a statement about how, yes, my family owns this ranch. It's called Niggerhead Ranch. I'm going to change it. I'm going to make like a formal declaration that I'm, we're moving on from this. Like, I don't know. It's like he almost just like pretended like it, it didn't exist. It's just like, you don't think that it's going to come back and bite you in the ass, man? Yeah. I mean, what the hell? And and what's funny too is that didn't even really take down his campaign. No. It was only until the, the thing where he said he was going to remove three agencies and he oh, like yeah. could not answer what the yeah. third agency was for like an entire minute. It on the debate it's like dude just goes, guess <laughs> just say one it's like he couldn't even think of them i mean oops but <clears throat> we wanted to talk a little bit about ron paul ron paul is a very divisive figure uh i really like ron paul for who he is and what he is for i totally agree with his foreign policy stance um a lot of people that are even supporters of media roots don't like ron paul for a, a lot of good reasons too um as Media Roots, we are not going to endorse any candidate, but we just wanted to speculate, what if everyone who was a Democrat that is against Obama, instead of just not voting... Um, not even against Obama. Yeah, not just even against Obama. people who are Obama, against the Republicans. Against the Republicans. It would just be really fun to just spoil the race for the Republicans and all vote for Ron Paul. <laughs> yeah, because even, you know, even if Ron Paul... Um, you know, I mean, didn't win against Obama. I mean, I, I don't know what, I mean, that, that what that matchup would be like. It would be very odd, to say the least. But, yeah, I mean, he could, if he won the primary, if enough people voted for him, even if he got in second place, and if people just changed their affiliation from Democrat to Republican or just registered Republican just to jump in the primary and then jump back out, I mean, that could change the Republican Party forever. And it could actually change it for the better. Like, why wouldn't you want it to do that? Like... I don't know. To me, it seems like it could be have it would be very positive overall. I mean, he's already had a pretty big influence over the Republican Party. They're already playing catch up to what he's saying. Like, yeah, slowly, like it would very slowly. it would totally destroy the Republican Party. It would completely destroy it. It's already every, destroyed. It already is destroyed. That's but they're, they're trying to this. marginalize him so hard. Yeah. That like it won't destroy like what they claim is like the fundamentals or like the or there's one know. faction. There's a faction that's trying to hold on to. Yeah, the the George W. Bush era of the Republican Party. 
neocon like mm. imperialism. But there is a Tea Party faction that does seem to be like pulling it apart from from two different ends. Yeah. And it's strange because while it's happening, the, the Republicans are getting all this attention and there's all this fixation on the race. But I think what it just illustrates is that it is destroyed. It's like they're coming back from the ashes or something. I don't know. I haven't decided yet if I'm going to convert again and, and vote for Ron Paul just in the primary. But I do. I do get kind of PO'd when I, you know, when I see people just calling him crazy, um, people just so easy to call him crazy, especially people on the left. They like to say he's a nut job and he's crazy, but like they don't really level those same criticisms towards the Bush administration. I mean, I don't remember the same people saying that Bush and Cheney were crazy. They just thought they were bad people. But like to me, they're far more crazier. The people who want to vote for endless wars. I mean, those people are to me, not crazy, but they're sociopaths. They're sociopathic, absolutely. And, and I don't, and I don't think. I mean, I think Ron Paul is a lot less of a sociopath just by his his strict principles. But I mean, I don't know. I mean, we'll we would only be able to tell. It would be like a litmus test to see how much he would stick to his principles if he actually was the front runner. I just don't see it. Yeah, like you're saying, a lot of the criticisms that are that are put on Ron Paul, like like my friend said, like, oh yeah, you want to get raped by your dad and not be able to have an abortion or whatever. It's like I don't, I don't ever see people putting that against Obama supporters, like viciously, and yeah, just viciously saying like, so you love murder, so you love murdering babies, like because you could say the same thing about Obama. I mean, he murders kids every day with drones and bombs I mean you just don't see that so it's like this weird dichotomy and just the rhetoric against him as a candidate it's like it's very vitriolic yeah I mean the the, the whole pro-life um uh you know <laughs> pro-choice movement you know <laughs> the whole pro-life versus pro-choice thing has become so polarized that both sides say ridiculously stupid things all the time. I mean, more so on the right-wing side. But, you know, I mean, I remember learning... I don't even remember where I learned this, but I remember being indoctrinated to think that, um, like, a baby wasn't, like, a baby until, like, something like three months or something. But, I mean, I don't really think that's true. I think that our understanding of consciousness and what mm-hmm. makes you know, the human soul or whatever is still not very far away from discovering what actually happens. And I don't, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I think that there's, there is weird divisive propaganda where if anybody has anything different from just across the board pro-choice opinions, a lot of people on the left will just automatically just hate them. Yeah. I mean, no matter what their other positions are, even though you can find tons of positions of Obama's that are deplorable from a liberal perspective. Yeah, for some reason that's just really held on to. I unfortunately I do know some people who have had abortions pretty carelessly, um, and it makes me sad because personally I uh, I don't not take that lightly. I'm pro-choice. I'm personally against abortion for myself. I don't know if I could do that because, like we're saying, I don't I don't know when the soul enters the body. I don't know when consciousness develops, and so. For me, it would be a very difficult personal choice to make that. Um, but I want the choice. You know, I mean, there's, of course, you want to have that choice available for people. But it's, it is sad when people do abuse that and like don't take birth control and stuff. And I know girls. I would love to say that I don't know people who do that, but I do. And it's just it's sad because the issue is not black and white. And if and, you know, Ron Paul is a doctor who's delivered like over a thousand babies. So. 
I understand for someone like him who would be personally against abortion. Um, I do understand that. I don't know. It's it's very it's it's very difficult to say. Um, I would be devastated if Roe v. Wade was overturned. Obviously, I mean, I think it would be a huge regression in our society. I don't see that ever happening. But yeah, I mean, people just like to hold on to that one facet and kind of discount everything else. But <clears throat> it's strange. So we're going to end this broadcast with giving some updates about our um, ongoing uh, saber rattling with Iran. Um, about, let's see, I think it was about a month ago, a little less than a month ago. Um, yeah, November 12th, uh, the Revolutionary Guard was testing a new um, guided missile and it was claimed that the Stuxnet computer virus was allegedly found in the missile guidance system and that's what caused it to kill 36 of the people who were there like at the testing site. And for those unfamiliar with the Stuxnet virus, it's a virus that has infected um, the nuclear centrifuge process um, in Iran's nuclear program. So not only are we probably assassinating their nuclear scientists covertly, but we're infecting their computers with extremely sophisticated viruses that they've only recently found out what the, what kind of damage these viruses were doing um, way after the fact that the damage has already been long done. Um, I don't really know too much about the centrifuging process, but it basically has to do with the azimuth setting on the centrifuging process that the virus would cause the azimuth to become uh, out of alignment by very incremental amounts over time, like like microscopic amounts to the point where, you know, over months of trying to centrifuge, uh, they found that there um, that there was an error in the process. So, w- I mean, we're doing all this covert war against Iran right now, and and lo and behold, um, a CIA predator drone was found, or shouldn't say found, it was shot down by Iranian military um, on December fifth, and. I mean, do you need any more proof that we're waging a covert war against Iran? We're sending drones over their country right now. Um, so that's pretty much what's going on I mean, there. We are. That's an act of war. We we clearly haven't decided to, or we don't want to, for some reason, actually go full ground assault into Iran or even an air assault. There's a reason why we don't, and it's probably just because of resources and because we know that Iran will be determined to fight us extremely. Uh, vigilantly <laughs> and so we're waging this covert war and it just keeps going on Seymour Hirsch reported about it I think in around 2006 so it's been going on around five years now <laughs> we wanted to end this episode by um, kind of doing a little introduction to our next episode we're going to do some historical analysis on on World War II and we wanted to talk about this isn't necessarily from World War II but this is going this is following World War II. The Great Purge was a series of campaigns of political repression and persecution in the Soviet Union, orchestrated by Stalin from 36 to 38. It involved a large-scale purge of the Communist Party and government officials and the repression of peasants. And how they did this was the persecution of unaffiliated persons characterized by widespread police surveillance, widespread suspicion of, quote, saboteurs, imprisonment, and arbitrary executions. 
So, does that sound familiar? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it does actually sound really familiar. Oh, wow, that's interesting. Because it's, you actually led me into thinking, you know, that's, that sounds awfully similar to what we're going through right now. You know, when you don't start by hitting someone over the head like a sledgehammer by saying, you know, we're just like Nazi Germany and here's why. You can, it's really not that hard to think of our country like an era of the Soviet Union. Yeah, when you look at what was occurring during that era, um, the police state. Much more sophisticated, intelligent, subtle version of it. But it's there. I mean, the same, those same key things that defined what the Soviet Union was doing at that time. Yeah. Exist now in the United States. And we're going to go back and talk about the conventional wisdom that surrounds World War II and watch out for that. We're going to come out with that um, in about a week or so. So thanks so much, everyone, for listening. Please don't forget to donate to MeteorRoots.org with every $40 donation or more. We're offering free art and music. Please uh, donate. We're also registered 501c3, so your donations are tax deductible. Um, registered under the Media Freedom Foundation with Project Censored. We're really excited about that. So please make your tax-deductible donations to Meteorites this Christmas and support independent journalism. Check out our SoundCloud timeline for all the links and sources of what we talk about. And don't forget to visit Meteorites.org for more info. Pearl Harbor was an inside job. (laughs) Good night.